This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their safe spaces, their bubbles around the world. Today I am joined by Catherine Van Beek. We're at work. Yay! <laughs> Is that a good thing? Welcome, Catherine. Hello, thanks for having me. How was your bubble life? I had an interesting um, bubble life, as I suppose everyone did, but I had a little brother who had been travelling around South America for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 hit, and he had to come home in a hurry, which was a family um, project and after he'd done his quarantine he came and stayed with us so he's been with us for a couple of months and he's flying away from the nest tomorrow off to do some university study in Wellington. So did he come back with adventures of Camp COVID or quarantine hotel or whatever they're calling it? Uh, we It was before that so we put him up actually in an Airbnb for a couple of weeks so oh, if we just left a bit longer that all would have been paid for <laughs> but it was nice to get him back early and I, I think if he'd left it any longer he would have had to stay, have stayed there a lot longer. So you are a writer and you work at the Polytech. That's true. Which one should we talk about first? Let's talk about writing first. All right. So you've chosen this lockdown period to be launching two books. Yes, it's not ideal. I'd planned the launches before the pandemic, so um, like everyone, plans have shifted and changed. Um, I actually really wish, because I'm doing crowdfunding campaigns for both of them, and I actually wish I'd run the crowdfunding campaigns during the lockdown, um, which I didn't have time to do anyway. Um, but I think during lockdown, people were maybe bored a little bit, spending a lot of time online and wanting to support local projects. So um, whereas now I feel like people are feeling like me, frantic, busy, trying to get through all the things we weren't able to do through lockdown Um However, both of the crowdfunding campaigns are going pretty well, so that's positive. So what are the books? Well, I'm releasing my second children's picture book um, called Bruce Goes Outside. Very topical. (laughs) 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 That wasn't planned. And I'm also releasing my first book for grown-ups, which I've been working on for years and years, um, and it's a collection of short stories called Pet. So that's very exciting. So Bruce Goes Outside. So tell us the story of Bruce. Bruce, well... Why have I written a kid's book about a cat? Well, it's because I have a famous cat. Gosh, that's strange. How do you how did you end up with a famous cat? <laughs> I was walking home from work one day when I lived in Auckland, and I saw this tiny little thing on the ground, and it was a little tiny kitten, and it was so fresh and new. Its eyes were still closed, and it still had its umbilical cord, and it was pretty sweet. And we took a photo of the little kitten. Well, once I realized it didn't belong to anyone, I took it home. Um, I took a photo of it curled up in my palm of my hand, and that photo kind of, you can't really say going viral anymore, can you? Went global. (laughs) Um, And at the moment, he's got about 40,000 Facebook fans and other fans on other various channels. So um, because I was already writing and all of a sudden I had this big audience, um, I thought, what can I do with this audience? And I knew they wouldn't be into my short stories because they're quite dark and... Uh, my Bruce the Cat audience likes happy content. So I thought a children's book might be just the ticket. So I released one a couple of years ago, and this is the second one. Can you tell us what it's about? It's about this tiny little kitten, and he, um, after finding his family, which is what the first book was about, a fictionalised account of what I was just talking about, in this book he gets to explore the great outdoors for the first time, the real Bruce was just desperate to go outside when he was a kitten. He's really an outdoor cat. It's just in his blood. Um, so in the story, the little kitten has amazing experiences, 
seeing the flowers and all the good things about the outdoors, and then there's some scary parts as well, like the next door neighbour who doesn't like cats. But it all turns out well in the end. <sighs> he wasn't a cat anymore, he was a beautiful butterfly. He was. <laughs> no, it's interesting, actually, I mean, there are so many children's picture books about cats, so many. There could be a bookshop, there probably is, devoted to the form. But cats are not exactly apolitical creatures, are they? Like, it's quite interesting writing about a little cat, which seems very innocent, a little children's book about a kitten, but cats are so kind of politicised at the moment. Let's take Tom Jones. What's new, Pussycat? What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, Pussycat, I've got flowers and lots of hours to spend with you. So go and potter your cute little Pussycat nose. Pussycat, Pussycat, I love you. Yes, I do. You and your Pussycat nose. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. Pussycat, Pussycat, you're so thrilling and I'm so willing to care for you. So go and make up your big little pussycat eyes. Pussycat, pussycat, I love you. Yes, I do. You and your pussycat eyes. What's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's new, pussycat? Whoa. Pussycat, pussycat, you're delicious And if my wishes can all come true I'll soon be kissing your sweet little pussycat lips Pussycat, pussycat, I love you Yes, I do You and your pussycat lips You and your pussycat eyes and your second book is one for adults. It is. It's got What's some dark themes. Uh, well, it's called Pets, so it's loosely about various types of pets. So there's, obviously pets can be animals, but a pet could also be a person that was special to you, or a pet could be a pet project. So um, the book kind of covers all these different facets of pet. So quite a few stories have animal creatures, um, but quite a few others don't. There's quite a few of the stories um, touch on reproduction of animal and human types. Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag, I suppose. It's what short story collections are all about. Have you always been a writer? Um, yeah. I wrote plays, um, when I left school I wrote plays for a few years, and then I wrote songs and bands, and then I kind of didn't do writing for a while, and I actually did resilience training through my work. A couple of workplaces ago I was going through a restructure and they sent us all in resilience training. It was great actually, it was really good, and as a result of that I made two life changes, one was that I started walking home every day. From work, can't do that anymore because I live too far away from <laughs> my work in Dunedin. Um, and the other thing was that I started getting up early in the morning and writing short stories because the facilitator of the resilience training really brought home that it's it's up to you. It's up to you to make things happen. So I really took that to heart. So it was a few years ago that that happened. And um, yeah, my writing career has just been growing. Is that still the pattern? Are you still getting up early in the morning to write? It's not at the moment because I'm in the topsy-turvy world of crowdfunding. So I'm staying up late <laughs> instead at the moment. So what's this, what does, how does the crowdfunding work? So I'm using um, two different platforms at the moment. For Bruce, I'm using a platform called Kickstarter, which is a global one. 
and for pet I'm using a platform called Pledge Me, which is a New Zealand one, and they both run in pretty similar ways. So you have to set up, um, you have a project, and you have to give people rewards, and perhaps you have some different reward tiers. So in my case, maybe you order one book or two books. Um, at the beginning, you have to tell the platform how long your campaign's going to go for and how much money you want to raise. And on both of these platforms, if you don't raise an amount of money, you actually don't get any money. So none of your backers get charged, um, which is quite good because it means that um, at the end of the day, you do have to give people these rewards. So if you hadn't made all the money, you might not be able to actually afford to make that happen. Uh, but it also makes it quite stressful, which is probably quite good as well because then it encourages, <laughs> encourages you to keep on... Um, going with them so not all um, crowdfunding um, platforms are like that there is another New Zealand one called Boosted and with that one you don't actually have to give people rewards so let's say I was making a film I wouldn't be able to give everyone a copy of my film necessarily because it might need to go to film festivals first and there might be restrictions on sharing it, people might just give me $20 because they wanted to support my project but with the ones that I'm using if people give me $20 they get a book right and are you having to actively work that? Are you? I am hustling, <laughs> <laughs> and that's um the pandemic has made that real awkward as well because um, I, so I crowdfunded the first Bruce book and it was really intense, but it worked well. Um, although I did say I would never crowdfund again, but here I am. But this time it's different because the pandemic's just happened, so I'm tired. I was tired going into it, um, and the other thing is. Other people are tired and stressed, and I don't know where everyone is at in regards to their financial security. So I feel a bit weird going out, give me 20 bucks, you know. Um, maybe not everyone's in the place to be able to support a book, even though they might want to. So it's definitely changed the tone of this experience for me this time around. But people are quite keen on the the buying local and supporting community initiatives. Are you Are you getting some traction from that? So, um, I think that's where, if I had done it during lockdown, um, I, I would have benefited more from that. I seem to be hearing more conversations about that kind of thing during lockdown. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that whatever is happening around you and wherever you are, that this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very nourishing, very fulfilling and illuminating and positive and rich and varied and diverse and unique and perfect, just like you triumph of nature's art connected to all life in an infinite web the product of literally billions of years of co-evolution on this paradise planet thank you for being born and adding your unique magic to this universe making things better every day thank you so i know for me at the moment i'm really noticing that for myself and for those around me of course just as we all have been on this journey together through lockdown level four, level three, level two, and now level one. For lucky us here in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand, this has really been an emotional roller coaster and still is as we readjust to the return to consensus reality. And for myself and those around me, I'm particularly recognizing the importance of being supremely kind, as kind as I possibly can kind in every moment in every way taking that step back and remembering to be kind and remembering to appreciate the kindness shown to me and remembering particularly importantly today not to take anything personally and remembering what I can hold dear and personal to me remembering who I am who we all are and remembering that oneness that we share. So of course for myself today, many adventures have taken place and there have been 
many challenges to be overcome. And despite all these challenges, there has been great kindness shown to me. I've been very grateful for that. And when the behavior of those around me has been less than ideal, unexpectedly negative, it's been a reminder to me of the ups and downs that we're all experiencing at this time and not to take anything personally. And to remember that my own behavior at times has been less than ideal. And again, to take that step back and practice kindness. And remember that we are all on this journey of co-evolution together. And that should there be grumpiness and anger, this is a secondary emotion. Motivated by a primary emotion of fear or a sense of lack. And that this is in fact a request for love, a request for kindness, a request for support. And that by reframing these behaviours in this way, not only can I bring forward the best aspects of myself in response to any grumpiness or anger. But I can also encourage the best aspects of the people that I love around me to come forward by not reacting to their grumpiness and anger as my own grumpiness and anger, but by offering my love and compassion and kindness and remembering that all of us are contributing precious, precious time and energy and love as best we can always. And by remembering this and working together, we are making things better. We are co-evolving. And in terms of what we can take personally, of course we can take personally when we see that our kindness is helping and that our kindness has been felt, our kindness has been appreciated, especially when it's quite tricky, especially when it's quite hard. That's something we can definitely take personally and feel very proud of. So I hope for all of you, you're having a wonderful day with lots and lots of kindness, and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. And we're at work, so we should talk about work. Yes. How was work during the lockdown? Oh, well, it was a weird tension, wasn't it? Because on one hand, it was so great to have a job. So, you know, I was definitely one of the lucky ones. Um, but on the other hand, I did find it very stressful and not much fun. Because normally I really enjoy my job, uh, but I didn't really enjoy it from home. And that was partly because of the volume of work and uh, partly because none of my buddies were at home with me. And... Um, also, I suppose, just a weird feeling that I know I wasn't the only person who felt this way, but um, I guess feeling as though I didn't want people to think I wasn't doing work because how would they know because I wasn't at work? Which is silly. I wouldn't normally feel that way if I'd just taken one day to be at home. Um, but I felt the pressure of always having that green light showing to show that I was there, which is weird. No one would have really cared. There was um, a green light. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really enjoy... I enjoyed lockdown, and I enjoyed the periods where I wasn't working during lockdown, but I didn't really enjoy working in lockdown. But as you mentioned earlier, I wasn't working from home. I was surviving a pandemic. So, of course, it wasn't wasn't supposed to be fun. And I did have some great moments. Like, I loved um, being able to go out for a walk every afternoon in the sun instead of trying to do it when I got home and it was dark. So that was a really nice thing. It was pretty busy around Back Beach. Not busy like you see pictures of... of UK beaches, but there was a, a steady stream of people walking around in their own little bubbles. It was great, and it was so nice um, not having the cars as well, yeah, and having those really great social distance chats with people. And we spent quite a lot of time thinking, this isn't bad, maybe this is, maybe this is how we could be living. But then we, as soon as we came back down through the lockdowns levels, we rushed back to being busy and we rushed back to our cars. Yeah, I really noticed, there was one day we were actually walking around Bat Beach, and I was like, what is, what is this thing? What is it? And then I realised it was silence. 
because normally even around Bat Beach, um, so if people don't know Bat Beach Road, there are very few cars on it. It's more of a walking track, and it's not really near any other roads. But um, you can hear the hum of the traffic from town all the way mm-hmm. over on Bat Beach Road. And then for a few weeks, you couldn't. And it was just incredible. And we saw all sorts of things on Bat Beach that we never normally would see. Um, one day we walked around there and saw a little girl patting a shag. And, and all sorts of nature kind of came to life. And um, I was very sad when people got back in their cars. It was especially good for the first three or four days before they stopped us swimming. Because I swam from the, the last boat shed around to the, the Port Chalmers School. Oh, that would have been great. Until they stopped us swimming, and then I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And then I spent the rest of the time <coughs> wishing that that's what I was doing. Oh. But never mind. So what sort of work were you doing? Oh, well, I work in internal communications here, so um, letting staff know what's going on. Um, so I wasn't part of our emergency response team, which... I'm also quite grateful for because those people must just be absolutely exhausted after um, everything that went on with COVID. But I was supporting that team. So, for example, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out to all staff. and that uh, We have a fortnightly newsletter that goes out and that became weekly um, during lockdown to try and keep everyone engaged and um, bring a little bit of light to people's lives because we knew that not everyone was having great times and people were doing it pretty tough. So we had a real focus on well-being throughout that time as well. Was that a conscious decision to focus on that well-being, to bring some positive angle to it? Yeah, that was conscious. And also, it just came out of people. Um, You know, lockdown seemed to bring out people's creative sides and also people's reflective sides. So we had a lot of people. um, We have this great intranet called Tuhono where people can actually load their own content and it doesn't need to be moderated. And we had people posting all sorts of great things up on Tuhono about how they were feeling and tips for other people to get through things. Uh, we had the Kaitohotohu office um, doing little videos at the beginning and the end of each day, which was really beautiful. Karakia, people really responded well to that. Yeah, it was wonderful. People crave certainty. And for a number of reasons, we weren't able to give people that. Not just the pandemic, but also the the um, restructuring of the the whole polytech sector and we don't know where that's going how did you play that well we don't know what we're doing either but still become somehow reassuring yeah well it was interesting because the restructure of the polytechs which is a nationwide thing had been the thing freaking everyone out for ages and then as soon as the pandemic hit no one was really freaked out by that anymore everyone was freaked out about the pandemic so um Luckily, we only really had to manage feelings around the pandemic and not both things. Um, and now that we're in post-lockdown, the NZIST political restructure is coming more to the fore. Um, but I think we had a lot of reassuring messages coming from our chief executive that help people. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Bubble people, how's it going out there? (laughs) It's Liesl here, just, you know, looking around, enjoying the beauty of Dunedin and and, um, wanting to share some of that vibe feeling with today. So, hi. (laughs) Nice nice that you could... um, I was having a really good conversation the other storytelling and thinking about stories are so important in our lives as I guess storytelling has always been our way of getting information uh, kind of sharing and a lesson or um, a practice or a tradition I think stories have always been used sort of for for telling the the important people's heads so when you tell a good story and I know there's kind of a memory trick that you can do where you 10 items on it and the way that you can get your brain to remember really easily is, and I don't know if you've played this game before, but um, put each of those shopping items um, visually somewhere and, and, you, and create a story around and that way you can remember all the items on the shopping list. So, excuse me, you've got milk, you've got cheese maybe, and you have a little story in your head 
you know, I picked up the bottle of milk with the orange writing on the side and I knocked it on the floor by mistake and milked everywhere. And it covered the, the bread that I had sitting there in milky, like sudsy, horrific orbs. And um, the bread started to soak and I picked it up, threw it at the wall and noticed one the mantelpiece where I thought I um, morning, but um, in fact it had moved all by itself or something. So you can tell this ridiculous little head, make it up along, um, as I just have. And um, this can actually help you remember because I know right now, and it covered the bread, the bread soaked it up, I threw it at the wall, moved all by itself to somewhere else. So a simple sort of list can become a lovely story. So the way that we have told stories in the past have been a, a vehicle, I guess, for yeah, handing on knowledge or so we've become a society I guess of visual storytelling is what with with television with all sort of stimulus that's telling us stories but we don't actually practice this art of storytelling in a way and in some ways what I do here in my little splash of time um, in bubble land is is tell a bit of a story although I may not sort of actually so I might not sort of make it a story as such I'm effectively freestyling with with an idea and talking by myself to you as a sort of a, a group of people around the campfire that we're telling a story. And I'm trying to create a picture of something, whether that's um, a clear picture or that remains to be seen. But telling that story is a real practice, I guess, and that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm sort of practicing, practicing my, my art of telling a bit of a story to you in five minutes. And... That, I think, is something that maybe we I think like a good story. You know, we love podcasts, for example. A, a new sort of way of um, organising the fact that we're sort of listening to human voices, telling something, giving us information in a way that's sort of as old in race itself. So I think stories are a lost art, and I think trying to bring them back, encouraging people to tell. Maybe have a think about when was the last time you told a good story? Tell. So find that story, get out there into theirs. Right, I'll leave you there. Have a wonderful day and we will tell stories again very soon. Take care. You also, during one of the lockdown stages, managed, managed to submit your learning agreement for your doctorate. Well done. Thank you. Yes, it was about to go in, really, before uh, lockdown. And then lockdown dragged it out because I didn't get it in until after lockdown finished. Um, but so thank you for being patient with me. It was pretty much ready to go. Um, and then I just didn't have time to look at it. But that's been really fun. I'm really enjoying working on my DPP. Tell the listeners what you're working on. Well, my topic is something to do with how I can use writing to empower others to make a better world. Uh, so better to me is all stuff about having a nice environment and having happy people and all that kind of social social good kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the projects I've been working on and what I could work on in the future and um, how what I do could help other people. So what are the tools that you have available to you to empower people to make a better world? There's two steps in that, isn't it? It's not just you going out and saying, I'm going to make a better world. You're doing that by helping other people doing it. Yeah, well, I had this real kind of epiphany um, because I've been actually doing some uh, miscarriage advocacy um, because I went through it and it was really terrible on multiple levels and I thought, well, we've got to sort this out. Um, and then as I kind of dug into it, I realised um, there is a miscarriage support group, which is you know a volunteer group based up in Auckland. And that was run by a woman who was in her 90s when I made contact with her. And she'd been doing this for years and decades um, and I kind of realised you don't make a change by yourself you pick up on a change that someone else has already started to make and you add your own little bit and then it's like a snowball that's, well, that's how I like to think about it you add your bit of snow and then you push it down the hill and someone else um, can add their bit of snow um, so I've been doing that with the miscarriage work so one thing that I've done uh, which involved writing was writing to my MP and I'm currently working with MP Ginny Anderson on a bill to change some legislation around bereavement leave so that if you have a miscarriage you are entitled to take some bereavement leave which isn't currently clear um, and another thing that I'm doing is I've just been working on a web series about miscarriage called Misconceptions which actually 
It just wrapped up. It was on the New Zealand Herald every day for the past two weeks. And both of those pieces of work picked up on work that other people have done, and I hope the people who see them will think, oh gosh, there's still more work to be done in this space, and they'll add their own little bit of work onto the snowball and make even more change. In terms of getting people to take their own action to making a better world, is there a core lever that you have available to them, to you? Is it about getting people to know that they can do something? Is it Where do you start with that? Um, I think it's probably different for every project for me. So, um, yeah, it really depends. So with the um, changing the bill, people wrote little submissions to me because I went to my local MP, Claire Curran, and she said, well, sure, this is a problem for you, but is it really a problem for everyone else come back with some evidence? So people wrote in um, with their quotes and experiences to me, and I passed them on to Claire. So there's one way that people were able to help, and I also ran a petition so the only writing people have to do with that is just literally write their name um so i think it really depends on the kind of project what the kind of call to action might be and in some regards it can be quite subtle so with the bruce the cat book you might think well how on earth is that helping anyone make positive change but they really kind of are about being kind to animals so that might just plant a seed with someone although i know most kids love animals anyway who's specialised in communication. What's your take on the communication at the government level, which everybody is saying that's why we've been so good at this, at this pandemic? What's your take on that? I mean, I was just blown away by the communication, um, I guess particularly during levels four and three and in the lead up to them. Uh, I just thought it was so smart, the concept of a bubble and, and how these extremely complex ideas were distilled into really easy-to-understand messages. I'm a fan. I'm definitely going to be looking more closely at that as part of my DPP, looking at how they did it. Yeah. And they seemed to do it quickly. Like, it, it didn't. they didn't seem to have enough time to have put it through a, a focus group and, and tried it out. And, and it seemed to be stuff that happened that they they managed to get to that point with quite some speed which suggests to me that it's it's authentic that that it's that they, they really are close to the the sort of the true values that they didn't have to work too hard on that or do you think that they did and i've just been 
convinced by some really clever communication. Oh, it certainly felt authentic to me in terms of why we were doing everything that we were doing. And I think people probably picked up on that and they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll stay at home for a couple of months then. Seems legit. <laughs> um, but in terms of concepts like the bubble, oh, I've seen headlines for some articles about this, but I haven't had a chance to read them yet. But I imagine there was some quite complex thinking that went into those concepts. But I, I can't, in terms of couldn't like, tell you for sure. Yeah, in terms of the whole c- pulling together the whole story. Yeah, because it seems simple, doesn't it? Oh, a bubble. Say in your bubble, your bubble's you and the people in your house or whatever. But coming up with that idea, sometimes those those simple ideas can take a while to arrive at. Do you have a notebook of your own ideas? Have you got a list of things you're you're working on? Oh, I do for my creative work, yeah. And you just continually add to that Add to that and then work from the top, or do you sort of pick and choose from it? Uh, I still occasionally go through um, years-old notebooks and just pour through them and think, are any of these ideas standing out? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So what's next? Um, well, it's really interesting because of planned and unplanned circumstances. I'm working on a lot of stuff at the moment, so I just finished that Misconceptions. Got Pet coming out and a crowdfunding. Bruce coming out and a crowdfunding and... I got funding to turn Pet into a podcast, which is really cool. So I'm also working on that at the moment. So quite busy, um, which could possibly have led me to stand some people up for podcast interviews. Um, so when that, this long-winded way of saying, when it gets to the end of August, I'm just going to take a break. That's when the books will be officially released, and I'm just going to take a break and let um, that inspiration well back up in my mind again, which I'm really looking forward to. But taking a break, it also means looking after Bruce's Facebook page and Instagram. And oh, of course, working on my DPP and all that stuff. Yeah. But just, just I don't know, taking a bit of a mental break. Yeah. So of all of the things that we've seen in the last few months, the sort of societal change things, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I've been a bit disappointed that... Um, I haven't seen much conversation around about the environmental side of things because to me that was one of the huge benefits of lockdown. So I do hope that, but I think possibly a lot of people are feeling the way I am at the moment, just really under pressure to do all the things that we weren't able to do during lockdown. And we're still in a really weird time, even though lockdown's over. So hopefully once we've passed this time of kind of pressure and stress, we might have more space to have those conversations about the environment. Hopefully it stays over. It's not stay, It's not over anywhere else. Well, yeah. It's kind of weird. We're now in this bubble all on our own. Yeah, that's true. A glo- um, with a global version of the Truman Show. <laughs> yeah. And another thing um, that was cool about the lockdown was that there was this emphasis on well-being and how people are doing and everyone's dealing with stuff at home and suddenly we became really aware of everyone's challenges that they deal with. And now we're kind of back at work and it's almost like it would be cool to keep up that sense of you know, we're all actually people and we've all got crazy stuff going on in our lives and just to be able to extend that grace to each other that we, we seem to be able to extend to each other under lockdown. That idea of that humility that we're not, we don't have to be perfect, perhaps. Well, in fact, spoiler, none of us are. Oh. <laughs> I think one of the things that it did demonstrate to us, talking about the, thinking about the environment, is that it really did demonstrate the, the connections that this was a an environmental factor and the response was a total integration of the health and the 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 economy that you know we can't possibly have an economy unless we've got the health and so it's really highlighted how connected those systems those systems are i mm-hmm. think i think there's we might be able to make something out of that um, i think as well in the future because kids went through lockdown and in, in the future, when people have ideas for great ways to save the world, and someone might be saying, oh, well, don't be stupid, we couldn't possibly do that, these people will say, well, actually, there was a time when we did we, we did do it, and we can make amazing things happen. And I think it'll, it's exciting to think of what the young people who went through that lockdown experience might be able to achieve in the future when they reflect on that experience. I think it's going to make it harder to be a politician, because people are going to do that. Look, 20, you can't do that. 2020, we did. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've solved an awful lot of stuff in 2020 homelessness we hadn't been able to deal with for the longest time 
And what do you know, we might not have solved it forever, but we took a big chunk out of it. It's going to make it really hard to say, as you say, it's good to say we can't do those things. What do you think we can take from this for the those longer term questions, um, the intergenerational type questions, climate change and biodiversity, those sorts of things? Do you think we might be able to find something, learn something from how we've responded for those bigger questions? I suppose what was really amazing in New Zealand's response to the pandemic was the team of five million. We all came together. We were pretty much all behind it. And that hasn't been the same in other countries, obviously. And so it just goes to show what can happen when you can unite people behind a common idea. And I would love to see a politician come onto New Zealand stage or the global stage and unite everyone behind something like climate change in a positive way, in the same way that we did with COVID. Like, hey guys, this is scary. There's going to be some bad things that happen, but we can all get behind it and make a real positive difference. Do you think that's perhaps the key, that, that finding the positive or finding a way of communicating it in a positive manner? Well, it's very dispiriting to see a photo of a polar bear in a rubbish dump. I mean, it just makes you want to curl up. It just feels overwhelming, you know. I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about inspiring people to make positive change. And there's so much positive change that can be made. You have to be careful not to be deluded, though. No, but I don't think we were deluded with the COVID response. But you're right, it's a fine line. You don't want to be a Pollyanna or, yeah, just <laughs> flat-out deluded. <laughs> but they've been talking about this in regards to Cli-Fi, haven't they? I haven't read an awful lot of Cli-Fi, but I think in the Cli-Fi community they've, they've been saying, you know, we've kind of done the kind of worst-case scenario kind of fiction. Mm-hmm. How about a best-case scenario? Like, okay, there's been some sea level rise and some bad stuff to happen, but how about talking about how we adapted and actually made really positive changes. Is it because people want... It's easier to write a story about a dystopia than a utopia? I think it's because when you think about climate change, you have to think pretty hard to think of the (laughs) upsides. Like, all the the negative stuff is what immediately comes into your mind, isn't it? So I guess... guess And I actually wrote a story like this for Pet, and um, after I wrote it, when I reflected on it a bit, I thought, oh, why, why didn't I make that a positive story? And if I do another kind of futuristic story, I, I will. I'll make it positive. And still have grit? Yeah, not like, oh, we're living in the sea and it's wonderful. It would be like just a normal story which has ups and downs and good things and bad things, but in, in this environment, um, but somehow positive, not kind of we're all going to die, which is you know, a little bit like the one I've got in Pete. So some questions to end with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I don't know. Possibly moving to Dunedin. Is that a weird thing to say? We live That's in Auckland. That's a good thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we'll take a chance. We'll move to Dunedin just for fun. We did, and we just haven't looked back. It's been great. Just like on a whim? Pretty much. You thought, let's go to get some good weather. We did. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, our team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that's got you there? These are tough questions, Sam. Um, I am going to say, I know this is a bit trendy, um, I'm going to say grit. I just said that. Well, great minds. <laughs> a grit. Um, I listened to Angela Duckworth's book on audiobook when I was making the first Bruce the Cat book. There were definitely times where I wanted to give up because I drew the pictures myself and I had never drawn anything before. And um, the first drawings were terrible and it was very hard. And um, But I persevered and um, listening to positive audiobooks like that really, really helped me. Because if you stopped and thought about it too much and second guessed yourself, you just you wouldn't do it, would you? So you've just got to have that grit. What made you think, I know, let's make a picture book 
I'll draw it myself. I can't draw, but I'll do that anyway. Oh, just inherent craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Optimism. Well, I've always liked drawing, and um, it was fun. It was really fun. I actually almost failed high school art. I really loved art, but we had to do these charcoal drawings, smudgy charcoal drawings. The art teacher just put this literal pile of junk in the middle of the room. We had to draw this junk for like the whole year, and charcoal was really the opposite of how I like to work. So I'm good to be doing what I like, which is detailed pencil drawings of cats. <laughs> and as you say, the grit and, and to do those sorts of things. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I've definitely done some work in that kind of miscarriage activism space, trying to break down some taboos around that. And um, Well, when I went through it, the overwhelming feeling that I'd never really experienced before was deep shame. Where did that come from? just came from all our weird ideas that we have in society and the fact that no one talks about the stuff. It was terrible. I don't want other people to feel like that. That's kind of what powered me to do that work. And a feeling of, I can do something about this, so I will? Yeah, well, I also wanted to change the kind of the whole health system, and I did try, but I kind of realised that was out of my circle of influence. But I think I have made some good changes. Do you think you have to find the point at which you can make a difference? Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you're shouting in the wind. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, well, I guess I do have the sense that, um, you know, I want to do some more writing and do something good. <laughs> Leave some kind of positive mark. Yeah. And what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? I think it'll be a very big challenge, the next project after this, really, thinking about it, because there's a lot going on for me right now, and hopefully people will like some of it, and it will be a little platform, or not a platform, a little um, stepping stone for me to move on to the next thing. So what the next thing is going to be in terms of my creative work is going to be a challenging thing whether it's another collection of stories or whether I try and write something a bit longer there's a doctorate to write I'm not actually too worried about that I mean <laughs> it's been hard it's been really hard it has yeah but it's been really fun and I think you've got a good story to tell and if you can't tell a good story then no one can so you'll be in a good place for that and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners yeah, you can make it happen. Whether you want to make a children's book about a cat, whatever kind of crazy project you've got in mind, you can actually make it happen. And it's we live in an amazing time when there are so many resources out there to help you. Even if some of them are quite painful, like crowdfunding, they're still there at your fingertips, thanks to the power of the internet. It's incredible. And the internet actually really helped me learn how to draw just YouTube tutorials. It's amazing. So there's that. And the other thing is that you can really make a change. So if there's something that's bugging you about society, you can do something to help it. You can do something to fix it. You might not be able to fix the whole thing, but you can add your bit of snow onto the snowball, and that will help someone else's life. Let's go out to Dave Dobbins' Welcome Home.
the mountains memories high and high there's a cloud full into these aisles just playing chase with the sun and it's black and it's white been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. We're brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio, oar.org.nz, and podcast there and wherever you get your podcasts. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Dunedin with Catherine Van Beek, also in Dunedin. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.